I was just chatting with uh, Dan a little bit beforehand. Uh, unfortunately, Kevin can't join us, or if he does, it'll maybe be at the tail end of our recording. Uh, but he's busy off working somewhere. Uh, but yes, Dan and I are here today, and uh, just wanted to go over a bit of how your week's been, Dan, and what have you been up to this last little while? Well, uh, it's been getting colder, so I've been staying more inside. Uh, well, actually, no, that's not entirely true. I've, honestly, I think I've been out more, just kind of doing last minute uh prep um of the garden of my garden yeah i was gonna uh, say is it the, it's the panic thing so you're out as much as you can because you know the end is coming <laughs> yeah because i mean we still haven't got snow i mean knock on wood that <laughs> that lasts a little bit longer but uh i know it's coming eventually like i think this week may be question mark uh so yeah so just been kind of doing all that uh, i'm basically done for the most part now i'm kind of getting into prepping and cleaning uh all the seats that i've collected over <laughs> uh, this season so that's kind of it's going to be a long process let's put it that way because <laughs> um i don't have all the nice uh access to Facilities, all the nice uh, equipment yes, to clean everything yes. <laughs> so it's you. a lot of manual <laughs> a lot yeah. of manual uh, old labor. school stuff yeah yeah uh, yeah I, I mean i didn't even get out half as much as i want to for collection because i was so busy doing other things but even the seed i have it's uh i'm doing a lot more of seed trays going outside for the winter this year versus a lot of things i like to start in the fridge and stuff so i've got more control over it and some of the stuff i've just had to say you know what i, I don't have the time so you're going to go outside but then it uh, comes back and haunts me because now, like you said, we haven't really had snow yet. So guess who's going outside watering? <laughs> <laughs> it's nuts because the hoses freeze. Like, so you got to take everything down before nightfall. And then, during, you know, probably about noon, then you peel everything out because it's getting to your warmest part of the day. Water everything. And then you have to take it all down again. Like you just can't leave anything out anymore. Right. So it's, but because yeah. it's dry, <laughs> people don't realize that um, when you're doing this kind of thing with perennials, um, even when they're asleep, they still have water requirements during the winter. So if our snow doesn't do that, uh, it's up to us. <laughs> so it's kind of been crazy. But anyway, and uh, oh yeah, because um, we had our Halloween episode last time, it's been a little bit. Uh, how was your Halloween? Did you get some trick-or-treaters? Yeah, we got a decent amount. Um, actually, yeah, there was another person just kind of walking around our neighborhood and got to talk in. Like, they were saying, like, because they were not too far away from us in a, a adjacent neighborhood, and they uh, didn't get, like, anybody. So I think we uh -huh. were still pretty lucky to have uh, uh, a good chunk of kids. Like, we almost, it was a little bit lower than last year, but um, no, it was still it was still a good turnout. Um kind of got lazy with doing decorations and stuff but hoping next year i'll <laughs> ramp it up a little bit because i don't know just got busy with other things but yeah this year so goes, weird. but like honestly i think uh like i mean the nice thing was like in our particular neighborhood they had a little um thing at our community league 
Oh, nice. uh, so there there was some celebrations happening beforehand. So in case people weren't comfortable or didn't want to mm-hmm. go trick or treating, that there at least was a little something else adjacent that everybody families and stuff could go to. So yeah, yeah. so there were things happening. So that's nice. I think it was a it's also it, it's good for the little ones too because of course parents, as always, are you know a little bit nervous of uh, going up to strange houses or potentially what kind of candy they're getting. So by going to the community leagues and and those kind of community events, then it's it's safe for them too, right? So. So that's good. Uh, yeah, out here in the country, uh, you know, you're in the country when the trick or treaters show up in an ATV in a wagon. <laughs> so, and it's without Amazing. fail, they are our most, they're the coolest, they're the most reliable neighbors we have because there's usually, I know about six or so of them. And every year, yeah, they show up, the dad's driving the ATV towing the, the wagon, and all the kids are piled in and they all come up with these cool, the best costumes this year were, um, uh, Wayne and Garth from Wayne's World, because these kids, oh, they're great. young enough, they wouldn't even been born when Wayne's World came out. So you sit there going, do you even know, have you even seen the show? Do you know what this is about? But yeah, they had the, the all the moves and everything. They're like, party on. <laughs> Wayne's World. I was like, oh yeah, you get extra candy for that. That's awesome. But yeah, um, with us, we just got two group, two big groups because they all go together in a mob. Uh, yeah. And so it was, it was pretty much the same as last year, actually. We got the two big groups, but um that's about all we got. And uh, yeah, we just threw our decoration stuff out the day of. Uh, I wasn't able to do my uh, haunted woods. Like last year, I did the dead woods thing. I couldn't show it to anybody because we were um, kind of sequestered because of COVID. But what I want to do is make it an annual thing. So we have these trails out in the woods and do the haunted uh, woods. Uh, but um, I think I'm just going to have to do it in September to make it reliable because uh you just don't know what the weather's going to be like in october yeah so, like this year was pretty decent weather wise compared to yeah, other years where we have like it, it snow wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't too bad well last year last year was great like last year we didn't even have to wear heavy jackets like we could just wear our costumes and stuff and we were fine this year there wasn't the snow it was a little bit chillier it wasn't bad mm-hmm. but yeah just with everything going on it's like ah we just Again, just didn't get to it, so I'm hoping for next year. And then meanwhile, we have, um, I feel like we're the Griswolds or something, because the next-door neighbors, they're perfect. They had their Halloween stuff just loaded to the rafters. Everything's all decorated. And they even had their Christmas stuff up on the roof of their garage ready to go. So the very next day, they're taking down their (laughs) Halloween decorations. And then, boom, up goes uh, the Christmas decorations. And I'm like... Oh, that, you know, that's, that's nice, but I'm still old school. I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't do any Christmas stuff until after Remembrance Day because Remembrance Day is tomorrow and that's for our veterans. And I think it's important to keep it their day. Right. So, but that's Mm me. Um, We actually went to Canadian Tire and picked up a couple of poppies because there was some veterans standing there uh, at the table and right behind them, all the Christmas trees were set up. And I'm just like, this is just not right. (laughs) It's not good. Let's have some. Let's have some breathing room between. Yeah, I I mean, I've gone to stores and literally they've had Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, and uh, Easter stuff all out at the same time. I'm like, okay, you know, things have gone too commercial. When? So uh, I'm just putting it out there for everybody. Please try to turn around the commercial industries and make it more about the people and the families, and keep your holidays separate. So. Uh, I hope everybody gets out tomorrow to do something uh, in remembrance of our, our veterans who have done our country's great service. And uh, 
then after that, then start thinking about Christmas. But uh, I don't think we need to do the overkill thing for sure. So anyway, after that rant, um, <laughs> I think today we're going to do some of our green scene and maybe maybe a little bit of the plant adventure guide, depending on which direction we go. Uh, but uh, I hope everybody got a chance to listen to our Halloween episode. Um, man, I, you know, once we started digging into that, there's, there's so many poisonous plants, especially our native ones. And, uh, not that that's a necessarily bad thing. It's just really cool. Right. So, so yeah, but anyway, um, so today, I guess what, what's your first, uh, news bit or whatever that you've got? Well, I got one that, I mean, fitted more with Halloween. So I kind of wish I did this before. Um, but you know, I was like, we'll just travel and, back in time. <laughs> it's Halloween. <laughs> oh, just keep pretending it's still October 31st. Um, no, yeah, it was talking about uh, this particular bacterial uh, molecule uh, that turns plants into zombies, you know, zombies in quotes. Um, but essentially, yeah, it's a parasitic organism, mm-hmm. um, which takes over a plant host and uh, specifically. Uh, attacks the well, why am I blanking out? The phylum uh, tissues of plants and kind of uh, messes up or like hijacks or kind of interferes with like kind of transmission of what the plant's supposed to be doing, uh, i.e., like when it's trying to grow uh, new shoots and stuff like that. Uh, kind of hijacks that and says like, yeah, keep doing that, but don't like. But then it kind of stops uh, any proteins that are kind of directing at um, like the aging process for the plants, like to when they're getting more mature for the plants. Oh, like it kind of says, uh, don't do that. that stuff. Yeah, just keep growing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, like don't ah. don't get to the point where like, yeah, you're going to start growing yeah, your fruits and seeds and all that kind of stuff. And uh, instead, no, just keep growing more shoots and stuff. And that's where you get um, stuff like, uh, well, I'll get to it in a second. But anyways, yeah, these researchers were looking to the particular molecule. Uh, what do they call it? Yeah, they call it phytoplasm bacteria. Uh, that hijacks and manipulates plant growth. So the phytoplasm bacteria are intercellular uh, parasites with uh, within the phloem tissue of plants that interfere with cell-to-cell transmissions. An example of this would be um, witch's broom. So that's kind of where you see in trees sometimes where it's kind of just yeah, yeah, all, yeah. all these twigs and branches kind of kind of deformed and Clustered all into and like this kind of... And yeah, yeah. Yeah, and looks kind uh, of like a witch's broom. Yeah. Where it's kind of, yeah, scraggly and whatnot. So that's kind of... That's what uh, causes that is this bacteria that's telling the plant to do all these different things and kind of takes over as a parasite or wow. zombifies it, I guess, if you will. Wow. So this also can affect crop uh, crop species, too. So you can get these crop uh, diseases coming out of this bacteria um, that causes, again, sort of similar things where the yields aren't as high or it kind of, yeah, like it's not really maturing enough to the point where you can harvest it, where it just kind of gets mm-hmm. all... It could get scraggly or it loses nutrients. So, you know, you'll not have well, enough yeah, nitrogen, phosphorus, all this other kind of stuff. Yeah. For the for the most part, humans, we eat the seeds, the fruits that, you know, uh, the, the things that this would stop produce from producing. So, um, yeah, we don't really want to eat just the grass or just the, you know, the, the plant part. So, yeah, that would make a big difference. Ooh, that's freaky. I heard about yeah. Other zombie type things, but I didn't know uh, of a bacterial one that affected plants before. I mean, after yeah, you kind of hear more of like the like fungal. Like I hear more about like fungal. Yeah, yeah. That one. After you're done with this, I I have one to uh, (laughs) to mention about that. But but yeah, Uh, uh, 
I'm intrigued by this bacterial one. Yeah, so this particular protein, like I mean, I'm just kind of reiterating a little bit, but yeah, this particular protein um, attacks, I forget the name of the process, but it, it happens in all plants. And basically the process is how um, proteins are broken down within uh, plants overall. So uh, this particular process, it takes away or breaks down proteins that are no longer used by the plant. So it's kind of like a recycle, like uh, I think in an article they talk about it, it's kind of like a re recycling station. So it will take all the proteins that were used or not being utilized anymore and kind of break them down. So they're kind of out of there. So it's not <laughs> overcrowding or just kind of there and causing other issues if you have too much mm -hmm. of something that's being utilized. And yeah, this bacteria is specifically taking over that process and then being able to dictate, oh, okay, well, yeah, we'll focus, we'll keep these proteins and we'll break down actually these proteins that are actually beneficial. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's an interesting bacteria. But yeah, the research they were looking at um, was with this particular protein, how they can kind of learn, well, learn about the, that plant process that's happening, but also how to kind of create plants and, uh, well, create plants that are more resistant to the bacteria. So they found that, because insects uh, can carry this bacteria, but it doesn't affect them because they have certain, like the way their amino acid acids are structured, it, this bacterial protein doesn't affect them the same way. So they'll carry it to a plant, but it won't affect them themselves. So the researchers found that if they are able to take a couple of amino acids from the insect, and if you start getting to gene splicing stuff with plants, put those amino acids into uh, a plant, uh, genes that they seem to show like they're pretty receptive to that on and being resistant to this phytoplasm bacteria. So that's mm -hmm. kind of there. So that's kind of leading to more, yeah, like crop resistant um, yields for uh, against this bacteria and stuff. Yeah, things would be a lot more stunted and reduced yields and stuff. Ooh, yeah, yeah so. freaky. Cool. Uh, yeah, um, it actually brings to light the one that I know of is the uh, the zombie fungus. So it's the one where the spores infect um, quite often wasps and flies and that kind of thing. And it ends up controlling their nervous system. So the, the insects kind of um, out of their control, they, they, won't, they end up crawling up to the, the surface of the leaves or, or to the top of a plant. And then at that point, the, uh, the fungus bursts out of their... <laughs> heads basically <laughs> and uh i mean i've seen pictures where it's just like it's it's something out of a horror film like if you if you blew it well, up that's you know well that's where they get the i think uh the reference for i don't know there's a video game called the last of us and i think that's kind of where they get that reference from because it's a it's a video game about a zombie apocalypse or kind of after the fact but anyways i think that's where they kind of got their inspiration from and same thing it's like you're every so often battling these fungal things that have taken over people and see so, yeah, how these kind of growth forms on their heads and whatnot. So anyways, sidetracked there a little bit. Sorry. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's just, um, it's, an, it's incredible how things have evolved to be this specific, right? Because if one thing's out of alignment, they can't, they can't exist. And yet they've done it to a point where it's a very polished process. And obviously it's working because there's, more than one variety doing this and uh, different species that are being affected and everything else. Um, it actually brings into the, uh, the green scene material that I got actually ties into this vaguely too. It's very weird how this has all happened. Um, 
I have a, an article from uh, Science Advances, which is a, a new one that I haven't gone to before, but they've got very um, technical, I guess, scientific papers and that kind of thing. So I've tried to water it down to more of a, an average person's um, lingo because there's way too many technical terms in there. Um, but this one's about our social insects, like the, the honeybees specifically, but it also applies a little bit to some of the ants because they're all colony, very social, very uh, specialized hierarchy and task-oriented uh, groups right. of insects. And um, my dad used to be a beekeeper, so I, I remember the, uh, the Varroa destructor. It's a, quite a crazy name, but that's the, the little tiny red mites that are one of the issues with honeybees and they were one of the first ones before the the fungus and and a bunch of these other things like now there's multiple issues going on with the honeybees right but this is one of the first ones that people discovered but um a little bit like these other things we were talking about um this might it, it doesn't zombify the insects but it is really interesting how the bees respond to it um, they've been doing a lot of uh, experiments and research trying to figure out how the bees deal with it and see, to see if there's, there are ways that we can help the bees overcome these mites um, a little bit more naturally versus, you know, pesticides and things which are probably not good for the bees either, right? Um, no. <laughs> but I guess to start with, to, to get a, a ground, uh, ground zero on this kind of thing, so to realize that there's different tasks that the different age groups of bees do um, kind of helps fill in. So you've, you've got your, your larvae, your young bees. You've got your young, uh, newly hatched bees that act as nurses to the larvae. And then as they become older, they move out and become foragers. So they, they don't necessarily do the same task the whole duration of their lives. They actually move through different tasks depending on the age of the bee. Um, but because of this, um, I think this has evolved for specific reasons, actually, because what's really interesting is because of this activity, it actually naturally helps um, segregate different age groups of the bees, which if there is a pathogen or something present can actually um, just like social distancing with us with COVID, it can actually help slow down the spread of, of some of these pathogens. Um, but then what's also interesting is once there's an infection within the hive of this mite, they seem to be aware of it and they further tighten up um, their contacts and how they're responding and interacting with all the bees. Um, so the, the mites themselves, in order to reproduce, they need to enter a brood cell with a mature larva in it so that it's just about ready to hatch. And mm-hmm. if you can cut that section off of their uh, life cycle, well, then the, the cycle's broken and they can't propagate. So that's a big one right there. So what's interesting is um, a couple different behaviors that the bees do. So one, you're probably aware of the, the foraging dances, right, where they do the waggle butt thing and announce to everybody that oh yeah the food's over here whatever um generally (laughs) the bees like to do that dance in the center of the hive because of course there's a bigger audience right so more bees can see it and then they know where they're going but um what they've been finding is when there's a mite infestation the foraging dances actually start to back off and go closer to the outside 
of the hive. So that's one way by not going into the interior of the hive, they limit uh, the spread of the mites. Mm -hmm. And so that's pretty amazing in itself. Um, Another uh, activity that bees do quite frequently is called allogrooming, which is basically removing foreign material from other bees. The nurse bees do this a lot more because they're constantly cleaning the, the, the larva, the young bees, um, but they're kind of a chain between the young bees and the foragers because normally they will clean the foragers as well as the young brood. But when these mites move in, they found that the nurse bees move more towards cleaning the young brood and themselves like each other, but not so much the foragers. And then, I mean, the foragers will clean themselves or each other somewhat, but they don't go and clean the nurse bees or the, or the offspring, right? So again, mm-hmm. by doing doing that, it further reduces the contact between the infected bees and the non-infected bees. So that's kind of crazy. And then the the last one, the third one that I know of, is um, there's uh, an action called trophla- trophil- trophallaxis. I can never say this right. Which is the feeding uh, between bees, like of the liquid food, and qu- quite often this is the Uh, the workers feeding the queen or the nurse bees feeding the young brood. Um, But, you know, it's a very social activity. Everybody has to eat. Everybody feeds everybody, it seems, sort of thing, right? But um, what they were hoping to find, because it was a hypothesis, they were wondering if the uh, feeding between the bees would be reduced so that the nurse bees would be pretty much only feeding the, the young brood. And again, they would be cutting off Um, contact to the foraging bees but so far in their experiments that's the one activity that they haven't been able to really confirm so I don't know whether the bees innately know well we can't let our our bees starve so that's the one thing they'll continue doing or if they just haven't found um, experiment parameters that really can show if that's happening or not I don't know but uh, the other two are de- definitely, it, it really changes once there's a, a mite infection. So I'm just like, that is so bizarre that such tiny little creatures are so complex and pick up on this. And it's, it's yeah, basically the same kind of thing that we're, this is how we're kind of reacting to COVID too, right? Like everybody's social distancing. And um, it's, again, the young and the old that having more, um, more care, I guess, given to them. and. Uh, separating the average in between supposed healthier ones right yeah that yeah that baffles me that (laughs) the that they can just pick up on that kind of just like it's instinctive like they just know that okay this is happening okay let's let's, yeah let's limit our contact and let's try to be (laughs) i mean we're here to make sure that everybody survives or we can have as much population survive so um yeah that and yeah like you were saying that (laughs) you wouldn't think insects to be that smart to be able to kind of think of that. Yeah. And that's the thing is, I mean, we, we think of intelligence like brain intelligence. And so I don't know if this is more of a, an automatic reactionary instinctive thing, which then to me indicates these animals have a much more advanced instinctive level to them than humans do. Like we're, we're geared in the other way. Like we've got a, a, 
cerebral intelligence, but we're not very instinctive, right? <laughs> but if if these animals are doing this all instinctively, that's that's just unbelievable in my opinion. Um, and the fact that they've got multiple methods, so instead of just treating this issue with with one solution, they've got um, multiple things in their arsenal to defend themselves against this, right? So. Mm-hmm. And it's also not, I mean, this is a specific uh, pathogen with specifically honeybees, but there are other, like I was saying, ants and whatnot that have other pathogens that they they react to sim- similarly. So um, there must be something to the whole process because different completely unrelated groups are exhibiting similar behaviors to combat these, you know, whether it's fungal, bacterial, uh, little parasitic organisms, whatever it is, right? So, mm-hmm. so yeah. Anyway, that was uh, kind of uh, crazy, but yeah, in a way, it tied in with this other stuff that we were just doing. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, and that was uh, science advances. So I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of stuff from them yet, but um, I'm going to be checking out their stuff more now. Um. Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot to say, yeah, my thing was from the John Innes Center, uh, based out of England. Oh, that's a different one too. Yeah. And then what else did you have? Uh, I had a couple ones dealing with um, kind of using uh, waste products for kind of like turning them into um, other things. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, that was a really... <laughs> Bad way of describing that. Taking bio, <laughs> taking essentially waste taking. Train. <laughs> are you talking about crap, or what are you talking? <laughs> no, I just said it? that in a very, very dumb and. <laughs> and Is very this what we call way. upcycling? Upcycling poop? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I should rephrase. Taking <laughs> organic waste and turn it into some renewable, you know, uh, fuel source. Right, because as soon as you put organic in it, as soon as you put organic in it, it always makes it sound better, even if it is poop, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, I got a couple of those. So, okay. I don't know. You were saying that your plant scene ties more with this fungal stuff. Yeah, and but bacteria that's, stuff. Or? Well, that's I, you basically just had it there, the 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 bee thing. So, um, yeah, go along with your uh, your poop. Or sorry, story, I'm, your I'm waste. a plant adventure guy, but. Oh, Planet Adventure Guy. Yeah, well, I don't know. Anyway, it's okay. Go along with okay. your poop story. <laughs> okay, so this one... Yeah, so engineers discover a way to turn organic waste into renewable biofuel additives using radiation. So, <laughs> a lot of stuff there. Uh, and this is from uh, the Lanca- from Lancaster University. Oh, Lancaster, uh, so yeah, yeah. Energi- yeah, so engineers at Lancaster... Uh, determine a way to make uh, renewable biofuel additives using uh, radiation from nuclear waste. So um, already, like, <laughs> as soon as I saw that, I'm just like, this seems like there's going to be <laughs> some issues there with. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, I mean, this whole ra- the, this word radiation always has bad connotations in my head. However, I know that it can do some good things as well. So there's got to be a spectrum there somewhere. So. And yeah, and it depends what kind of radiation you're talking about too, because yeah, like if you're, <laughs> if you're talking about the stuff that's, well, anyways, that's a whole other topic. Uh, so yeah, the idea is that by using radiation uh, from this nuclear waste uh, to create additives from biofuel waste, specifically uh, one called uh, Solketal, S-O-L-K-E-T-A-L. 
that could be used for fuel blends and petroleum products. So the idea of co-generation with nuclear energy processes in an area of research that continues to grow. Uh, so there's the idea of using heat produced from nuclear energy production to work in tandem with uh, electricity production uh, has been and continues to be developed and studied uh, specifically when the, within this research study. And researchers are hoping uh, the radiation can work uh, in a similar way. So if the processes can continue to be studied, developed, and made more efficient, the idea has the potential to be uh, a good option for low carbon energy and dealing with uh, reducing carbon emissions. Uh, there are, there's the high upfront costs uh, to nuclear plants and biofuel waste that are not really being utilized. So with combining these processes, there could be uh, better efficiency in biofuel waste usage and diversifying nuclear energy use. So we don't really get that. I mean, specifically here in Alberta, we don't really see much of that because we don't really have any nuclear power plants here. We have more biofuel stuff going on mm -hmm. um, yeah, that you can hear about. But yeah, that. nuclear power, it's like, hasn't really happened here. I know our the current government now has been kind of talking about, okay, well, let's try to find new ways that are new kind of energy uh, pathways that aren't just strictly oil and gas. Mm -hmm. um, Why so not even talking about hydrogen? Hydrogen's a big one. Yeah, hydrogen's been the big one. Um, there were, I think, talks at some point about nuclear energy, but I never know where that's going. And yeah, well, I don't know. I just have a have a bad feeling about the nuclear thing. <laughs> I don't know. That's the thing. It's like, uh, I, I think there is a misconception, though, that a lot of people think of when you hear nuclear energy or nuclear power plant, you automatically think of kind of Chernobyl, Chernobyl. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, but you have to think, like, that's from what 1980 some somewhere around there and there have been so many new developments over <laughs> since then that uh has made the nuclear power more efficient and safer maybe safer but again <laughs> but i mean again there you are still dealing with nuclear energy and mm. nuclear radiation and all the waste that comes from that and there's yeah there's a plethora of uh, issues there's pros um, and pros and cons obviously for the yeah for all things but but um, um anyway but so, yeah, so again that's oh sorry go ahead oh i was gonna say so the um the waste for these uh biofuel additives so did they specify what kind of waste specifically like is is it uh more of manure and that kind of thing or what kind of stuff are we talking about uh yeah, like I didn't, I couldn't really find a great deal about. Um, or if it encompasses, encompasses a range of things, because I mean, some some things are. Yeah, they, it seemed like they just. I don't know. They just kind of generalized it because, like that Sol Catal um, <laughs> thing that came out of um, um, the biofuel waste. Mm -hmm. um, like it's it's just a compound. Uh, and yeah, I, I could give you a chemical compound, but I don't think people can really care too much about that. But I was trying to look up like, okay, like what's, what's this in? And I couldn't really find a definite answer <laughs> mm -hmm. in that. So, so my guess, like, yeah, based off this article, it seemed like it was just generally whatever bio waste, <laughs> but not specifically like, yeah, like, is it more like agriculture tree stuff or is it more uh, or forestry, I should say. Um, or is it, yeah, is it more human side? Like, is it, yeah, like, is it poop? <laughs> yeah, well, and it, it could be um, also in the preliminary, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out these processes. So it could, it could be 
you know, these papers haven't been released yet of all the details. It could be they're waiting to find out which things work and they're doing a whole bunch of things. Like, I, I don't know, right? But it's interesting. How'd you spell it again? The Soka Tal? Is it S-O-K? S-O-L. Oh, Soul Katal. Okay. Yeah. And then K-E-T-A-L. There we go. Oh, okay. Soul Katal. Okay. Because the, the first, I spelled it wrong and it came up with a place in Slovenia. I was like, um, I don't think that's right. Okay, there we go. It's a process. The soul catal, soul kettle, soul catal. I don't know. Soul catal sounds better to me. Let's go with that. Um, right. Okay, there we go. Yeah, so if people want to look that up, at least there's information about that. And you could probably get some really dry scientific papers about it if you're wanting to dig deeper into it but yeah yeah um <laughs> so anyways so, yeah um they so the ra- the way the radiation is used on that side of things as uh, they harness um they harness the radiation or like the energy from it from spent nuclear fuel and creating a catalyst that produces a reaction to form that uh solcatel as well as uh, acetyl uh so the thing that's derived from uh, acetone Right. And yeah, because here it's saying acetone and glycerol are, are the normal yeah. ways to synthesize it. But this is a uh, obviously another method that they can get things that will work to do this process. Um, yeah, like they figure you can create, yeah, like something like acetone from acetine. Like you can create that uh, through <laughs> using this nuclear, like using a waste product from a different um, yeah. waste pathway than creating it from scratch, let's say, or synthetically, I guess. Right. Um, so it's just another way of being able to utilize another waste stream, essentially, and mm-hmm. kind of combining these mm-hmm. two. Um, so yeah, that catalytic process, um, and it's not very costly and does not require a lot of energy to perform because with those spent nuclear fuel rods, like there's already a ton of... Yeah, um, so it's like it's partway there because it's something from another process already, right? So it's not like you're starting from the beginning. You're already part partway through the process. You just have to finish it yeah like you, you, you got a waste product that's already going to be disposed of in whatever way mm-hmm. so usually they kind of bury it in the ground so why not use <laughs> use it before like use it a little bit more before you even put it down further in. Mm-hmm. like put it down mm-hmm. for good and not um because that, that's a lot of potential for uh energy that yeah that like like they were talking about yeah it's not as costly compared to other methods or uh, more conventional methods and yeah it doesn't require a lot of extra energy than what's already being uh, made but anyways yeah. yeah so with the Solcatel additive uh it helps to make fuels more efficient in engines and other combustion scenarios um so again yeah they didn't really get too much details to, well how does that how does it make fuels more efficient than other other fuel uh things that you use it for so um and i couldn't really find it like I was, I was trying to find the article like the actual scientific paper that they referenced and couldn't find it but i think i might want to go back to that because I found this one kind of interesting, but yeah. Uh, so there's the Socotel additive that you can make from it. There's the acetyl is also useful in producing other chemicals like propylene, glycol, or as a dyeing agent in textile manufacturing. So there's a lot of uh, byproducts that you can get out of this whole process. Like after that can do other things. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And that's, uh, and then, that's yeah, what people like. Yeah, and then being able to scale this process with existing nuclear energy facilities can help to make it uh, a viable option for creating low carbon emission energy and reducing the effects mm. of climate change yeah. because there's not if i if i kind of read like if i remember correctly like yeah it doesn't really create as much uh co2 like offset like cause with nuclear energy there's not as much if any really uh carbon dioxide 
um, uh, coming off when you're mm -hmm. doing nuclear power uh, generation. <clears throat> like, I mean, there will be some CO2 when you're trying yeah, to get, but com compared you know, the turbines and all this kind of methods, other stuff. And it's going to yeah, be a lot it, It's pretty low. So what they're saying essentially is if we can kind of utilize this more so that this waste product that we can combine with biofuels or to create uh, biofuel additives or uh, mm -hmm. other products, yeah, like you can make it more efficient and uh, low carbon. Um, it can lower your carbon emissions by doing it that way, potentially. But again, um, it's, yeah, it's trying to have more data to kind of get out there. So this research is kind of what's helping to kind of say, nope, this is potentially viable. And then being able to actually apply that to uh, nuclear plants as well as, yeah, where biofuels are uh, being created too. Because, yeah, you kind of need both industries to be <laughs> kind on of board. working. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on but board I mean, and, yeah, kind of working together. Because like I said, yeah. like here in Alberta, wouldn't really make sense. But maybe in Ontario, again, Ontario, I don't really know what, yeah. what their nuclear side, I know they use like they mm -hmm. have some nuclear plants there, but uh, the biofuel side, I have no idea. Like how yeah. and other places around the world too, right? Yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, so and if, again, if, if you have those two industries working, like if they're kind of in a general, like pretty close to one another, why not uh, see if you can kind of work together? Well, for sure, and it's basically it's a uh, a bonus for all intents and purposes because every, like you say, all these the facilities and other processes are already in place this could be an add-on to use those same existing structures and, and materials to get something more, which is an extra, uh, well, I mean, I hate to say it, but make money maker because people need to make money and also mm -hmm. to utilize waste products. So there's less waste. Um, so yeah, on the surface anyway, it sounds like it could be a good thing because you're, you're uh, improving waste reduction. You're kind of upcycling or recycling something that's already out there. Um, and you're reducing that carbon footprint. Uh, so yeah, hopefully in the years to come, they, they get it streamlined and uh, iron out the kinks and uh, make sure that it's, um, doesn't have any other, um, you know, bad things that could, could come of it. Um, and that it can be a, a viable option. Sure. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, a lot of potential there. Oh, and then, yeah, so my next one, uh, kind of going on the tra uh, trend of using or kind of utilizing a, like a bioproduct. Uh, so this one is from, what's it, Alto, Alto University, so based out of Finland. And it's, yeah, creating solar cells and glass from wood or a billion tons of bio waste is the title. <laughs> Wait a minute. So glass research, from yeah. wood because I thought glass was always from silica. How do you do from wood? I'm intrigued now. Yeah. So researchers. <laughs> yeah. So researchers are looking into how plant biomass could be utilized and replace non-renewable materials used in a wide range of products today, such as solar cells and cell phones. So the biomass in question is called uh, lignocellulose, which is a term that describes the broad scope of materials found in every plant. So specifically, that's your cellulose. Uh, hemicellulose and lignin. So the, those are kind of the three big ones. Mm -hmm. um, so researchers examined uh, how the current manufacturing processes and characteristics for uh, optical applications. So this included like structural colors, transparency, reflectiveness, and UV light filtering. Um, so the article states that applications for combining the lignocellulose material uh, include yeah, reflective UV surfaces for windows and materials that can react to specific chemicals or 
Steam. So yeah, they're saying that there's a wide range of applications that you could apply this particular product or this particular material when you're making these um, uh, optical uh, application products. So yeah, like your glass cell phone, like cell phone uh, glass and yeah, like solar solar panels, I think is kind of the big one that they're focusing on. So yeah, a lot of potential. Yeah, a lot of potential for the material focuses on solar cells and really utilize it as researchers think that glass made with lignocellulose could be more efficient at light absorption than current materials made. And where uh, most of this material uh, is coming from for the lignocellulose is uh, forest, forest waste material, essentially forest biomass. Um, or not, sorry, not forest biomass. Um, I mean, that could be part of it, but they were saying that... Um, uh, more on the agriculture side, I should say, uh, that they kind of get more of their materials from. Because uh, they say, yeah, sorry, they were saying that forest biomass is in high demand for all these other industries, uh, for various manufacturing and whatnot. So they said there's more agriculture kind of waste products that aren't as in high demand and could be used for this manufacturing. Um, right. So probably like, yeah, they, you know, the f fibers from straw and the excess, you know, leftovers after grain harvesting or whatever type of stuff or corn or who knows what, right? Yeah. And I think it's a little bit easier for them to uh, a manage, but also like manage in the sense that, yeah, like you're not worried so much about breaking down a tree trunk <laughs> into yeah, I mean, being able to process it. Whereas like you said, straw, getting, it's a little bit easier. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Even though they both, yeah, they both have, like, and I'm, and I would have to guess that lignin or the like, uh, wow, or the lignocellulose amount, uh, I would have to think in some cases would be higher in kind of this more fibrous, yeah, like straw versus the tree. Well, I mean, it really depends. I shouldn't say that because. <laughs> well, I mean, again, I'm I'm just speculating, but I'm thinking just because of the general the the size difference, there, there's probably more of uh, a lot of those materials in a tree comparatively however also look at how quick the turnover is how long does it take to grow the tree versus how many crops can you grow in that same period of time and yeah. just harvest it like crazy right so that's what i would probably be looking at so i could see them wanting to and also the equipment i mean uh you need bigger heavier duty equipment to harvest the trees um stuff wears out quicker harvesting harder material like the wood versus um chopping up straw and stuff you could do a lot of that before you have to sharpen your sharpen your tools or replace stuff right like even the difference between um regular straw and uh, hemp hemp is, mm -hmm. is pretty hard on stuff because it's so tough and fibrous that a lot of people say uh, that's why it costs more is because of the equipment needs a lot more maintenance and replacement because of the wear and tear um but that just but anyways, show <laughs> how good uh, hemp is on a lot of applications for yeah, like I mean, if you if you can get past that initial harvesting part, um, it's resilient and everything, but it's the weighing out what the balance is. But anyway, sorry, getting off on a tangent. Uh, back to um, what you're <laughs> discussing there. But yeah, so then they kind of talk about yeah, like to bring the like this the, the lignocellulose kind of on a larger scale and kind of commercialize it. They kind of suggested a couple of things, and this is kind of general for any kind of new. Uh, approach, I guess, to stuff in this industry for manufacturing tied in with bio, uh, biomaterial and whatnot is that a having government or one having government regulations to help target biomass waste streams and utilize uh, that particular thing. So yeah, it's just really getting the government on board 
and being able to say like, hey, there's all this waste coming from this particular industry. Why don't we utilize that to help out manufacturing in this industry? So yeah, just getting the government on board for that. And then we're kind of making so that the system for utilizing these waste streams is a little bit easier than having to uh, cut through or trying to get through a whole bunch of red tape because <laughs> sometimes government can kind of go a little gung ho because maybe they just don't know or they have ulterior motives. But anyways, that's a, <laughs> besides the point. Uh, but then also another thing too is creating and this, the way they phrased it in this article is kind of funny because basically it was just creating engaging proof of concepts that draw draws an interest and demand for renewable alternatives for optical applications. And I'm just like, well, that. <laughs> Yeah, make it look cool so that people are like, oh, we should do that. <laughs> marketing. Um, it's all about marketing. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, I understand the importance of it, but yeah, <laughs> I just kind of found it funny how they kind of phrase that. But yeah, just making it interesting enough that uh, either, you know, investors or, you know, people on the commercial side that are making the decisions on what to do that, you know, say, oh, that's, yeah, that's kind of a new way of thinking things that I had no idea. Let's, let's give it a go or let's, you know, work something out to, try to get you know a demo going and see if we can make it into apply to on a bigger scale so commercially yeah 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 then yeah they say too that you know some of the issues that get brought up with this uh with the material is a the cost of manufacturing because the idea of this material used for optical manufacturing has been around since about like the 2000s like they talked about some other kind of plant-based uh lignin type stuff uh back then that they wanted to use for certain manufacturers manufacturing processes but at the time it was very expensive to harvest all that process it and put it into like i mean again you have to think about solar panels too back then like i think it's become more efficient to make solar panels for various applications but back then uh it was pretty pricey and it yeah, yeah it took and that's, a while for, that's with most new um yeah once uh, you once you make it more efficient and you get better yeah. at making it with you know, better materials, less of a material if it still get the same quality. Um, yeah, that just comes with yeah. technology advancements yeah. over the years. So, um, so yeah, they say like that's been one th issue that, I mean, it's, it's still kind of an issue, but it's become more efficient, I guess. And being yeah, able and to it'll, like most things, that's a trend. The new things, expensive, harder to do, there's less of it, blah, blah, blah. And then over time, there's uh, the more of the demands filled, the pro like you say, the processes get improved costs go down it's more available and it, it follows that line right so yeah as time goes by i'm sure there's going to be more pro you know more companies doing it everything and um then uh it'll become less cost prohibitive and and more accessible to the masses right <clears throat> yeah and then the other issue or the other challenge that they were the researchers were facing was uh water usage and the processing uh, because with lignin and kind of all this biomaterial is um, if things get, uh, well, if things get humid, well, I mean, A, it takes a lot of water to process it all, but B, uh, if these materials being made from this lignin are in very humid conditions, it makes it very hard for them to uh, uh, be stable, I guess, because mm -hmm. it kind of, it, their integrity kind of is <laughs> a little uh, broken, <laughs> I guess I could say. Uh, so yeah, they're still kind of looking into, okay, how do we make this a little more uh, uh, stable <laughs> once we kind of have made a glass panel for a solar uh, solar panel system? Uh, if things were to get too wet, how do we, yeah, how do we make that more um, 
stable so it doesn't break down if there is a rainstorm. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I'm just imagining you have a big pane of this basically cellulose glass and then a rainstorm comes in and it and it basically dissolves and then you have <laughs> stuff come into your house i i know it's not quite that simple but it just you know that's kind of what your mind gravitates to but yeah as yeah. They, they'll probably find some additive or something that like you say stabilizes kind of it, weather, weather protects it or, or whatever and then you're off and running i mean plants plants do it naturally in the wild so there's there's got to be ways right <clears throat> but yeah interesting we could end up going back to straw houses in a whole different way. Yeah. <laughs> Just make sure the wolf doesn't come over and blow our house down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, very cool. Um, did you have anything else or was oh, that our... Yeah, just had that. So that's yeah. our, our green scene for today. And yes, now I remember what I was going to... Do. Um, so my uh, plant adventure guide... This is going to be a a little teaser. I don't have it ready for today, but hopefully the next episode. Um, I wanted to talk about goldenrod, the new milkweed. Uh So think about that. So, all right. Well, I guess on that note, um, we'll call it an episode. Uh, Hopefully it gives a, a bunch of things for people to ponder um, some of the new tech that's coming out, some of the new uh, research that's coming out. Uh, it's uh, quite encouraging, actually, that people are, whether it's being forced to or, or people are just naturally creative, but people are uh, stepping up and coming to the table with, with new ideas of uh, how to be more efficient, more environmentally friendly, uh, reducing the carbon footprint, all these things. And it's uh, good to see with all the negativity we've been experiencing from a myriad of things these days. So uh, on that note, uh, as always, be sure to check out Regenerative Landscapes on your favorite platform and be sure to like us, share us, um, send us comments, just anything to engage with us. We, we love uh, interacting with our listeners. And Actually, uh, a big thing, reviews. Ooh. Reviews. If, oh yeah, we would like some can, reviews. Like, I know people um, hate hate doing things like filling out surveys and doing reviews and whatever, but it doesn't take much, especially on the uh, the online platforms these days. But yeah, some reviews would be cool because um, we we like feedback to know you know what what do you guys want to hear? What can we do better? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean it helps us grow. I mean, yeah, I mean and, we're we're growing plants, yeah. but we want to grow in other ways too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, on that note, um, hopefully next time Kevin will be back in the house with us and we'll see you next time. 